Occasionally, I will pass down an old hat to one of my four boys, an old baseball cap for, that's maybe you know one of our favorite teams. And so every once in a while, I'll just pass one down. They're always grateful to get a hat, wear it with pride or, or hang it in their room. And uh, I'll, I'll never forget, about 10 years ago, I was coming down the stairs of the house that we were living in at that time, and I was wearing one of, um, one of my favorites, hat, a hat I bought in college. Uh, it's camouflage and it kind of has the team logo. So, you know, um, that, I guess that's me. And uh, so it's really super comfor- comfortable and, and I love that hat. And uh, my oldest son, Morgan, was about uh, seven or eight at the time. And I get down the stairs and he goes, ooh, daddy, w- would you pass that hat down to me? And I said, son, I, I'm, I'm never going to pass this hat down. That's one of my favorites. And he goes, oh, no, I'm talking about when you die. And are we planning the service, I thought, or I mean, you know. So I I wanted to know, um, my name is Carter McInnes. I'm lead pastor here at Mountaintop, and I am going to die. And so are you, right? We're all going to die. So we have this big question sometimes. What happens when you die? What happens exactly when you die? Now, I I, want to let you know that I don't know exactly because I've never been dead and I'm hoping not to find out anytime soon, right? This is why you should always be skeptical and we are always a little skeptical when someone uh, starts talking about this subject and they claim to know exactly how it's going to work, exactly what it's going to look like because we're like, you know, unless you've been there, done that, I'm not sure that you know exactly. But you had a lot of questions about this kind of topic and this kind of uh, series of big topics when we began asking you a few months ago these questions for asking for a friend. And we're going to try to tackle kind of big chunks of them. They all kind of work together. Uh, uh, They relate around these issues, heaven and hell. You had a lot of questions about heaven and hell and what's heaven like and when exactly do you go? Is it right after you die or is is there something else? We had a lot of questions about that. We had questions about sin and judgment. And can you be forgiven for any sin? What are, are there some sins that you just can't be forgiven for? What if you sin after you're saved? How are we judged? We had a lot of questions about salvation and baptism. Why did Jesus have to die? Did Jesus have to die? Do you have to, what does it really mean to be saved? What is it, do you have to be baptized to go to heaven? So those were some of the great questions uh, that you had, and we're going to address those today in week four, part four of a five-week series called Asking for a Friend. If you're brand new here, we're honored you're here. Uh, these questions that we're addressing in this series came from, from the people sitting around you and some of you that are watching there online who said, these are the questions I've got about God, faith, and the Bible. Next week, I'm going to finish out the series by answering uh, the issue and the topic that was the topic that had the most questions. Um, And that question that we're going to be answering is, what does the Bible say about being gay? So many questions about topics of LGBTQ issues, uh, and that's the one we're going to tackle next week. But this week, uh, we're going to talk about something that I think is... uh, Listen, I'm not telling you that my words or what I'm saying, but what I'm going to tell you is that the issue and the topic that we're going to be talking about today 
you understanding this is the most important information in the universe. I mean that. This is the most important information on the universe because this topic and getting these concepts and really understanding them in your heart and in your mind is the most important thing in the universe because we're going to talk about something that almost nobody else talks about, eternity. And so many of our decisions and so many of the things we have about are just talking about our 70, 80, 90, maybe 100 years on earth. But what we're going to talk about today has to do with eternity. And we're going to go through on a fast-paced journey, okay, in the only source that I know to go to, and that is the Word of God. So I hope you're ready. We're going to dig in first talking about heaven and hell. The word heaven is in the New Testament 276 times. Over half of those instances, 142 of them, are in the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke and John. These are the four accounts of the the life, death, resurrection, but also the teaching, the actual words of Jesus. So over the half of the times that the word heaven is in the New Testament, they are in the teaching of Jesus. The word hell is only in the New Testament 15 times, but almost all of them are in the Gospels. In fact, this is really interesting. Jesus actually introduced the idea of hell. Jesus introduced this idea of heaven and hell, and here's what I can tell you. Here's like the Cliff Notes version according to what Jesus taught, okay? There is a heaven. There is a hell. You will die. I mentioned that. You will end up in one of them. According to what Jesus taught, like there is a heaven. There is a hell. You will die unless Jesus comes back before you die, and that, you know, that's the only one that's up for debate, okay? And you will end up in one of them so let's talk about when you end up on one of them don't worry i'm not going to give you a date that's above my pay grade uh (laughs) i don't know but a lot of times people have these questions about like well you know do you do you go immediately it's really interesting when jesus was crucified he was crucified in between two criminals and one of the criminals there kind of had a moment of turning to fate while he was crucified right there beside jesus In fact, he confessed to Jesus that that he really was the one, that he really was the Lord. And and he looked at Jesus on the cross, and he said, Jesus, would you remember me when you come into your kingdom? And here's how Jesus answered him. In Luke 23, 43, Jesus answered him, Truly I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. When did Jesus say he will go to heaven? Today, we will go today, like we got a couple of hours left here on the cross, okay? Don't know which one of us is going to go first here, but today you will be with me in paradise. Today, we're going today. You're not going to, you don't have to wait. You're not going to be asleep for hundreds of years or thousands of years. You don't go to some other place. Today, you will be with me in paradise. And the biggest thing that he says there too, not only today, you will be what? With me. That's what heaven is. Heaven is with Jesus. Heaven is in the presence of God. No one, no one knows exactly what heaven and hell are like. I do know that uh, the, the heaven that exists now will pass away. It won't last. 
In the book of Revelation, John uh, has kind of, there's a reason it's called Revelation. It's because John has a revelation from God. God gives John a really, it's a really unique book. It's the last book. It's got lots of, woo, some, some wild imagery in it. But because God gives John a glimpse into the future, and he says that there will be a new heaven and a new earth. The current heaven and the current earth will pass away. And John has some really kind of like dazzling descriptions of it. He says there'll be streets of gold. Now, I want you to think about what kind of streets John knew about. What were streets in John's day? That, that, it was just dirt roads. Right? It was dirt roads. Everything was dirt. It was, a, a road was, you know, just kind of where everybody kept walking or where everybody kept taking their horse or where everybody kept taking their donkey. It was just dirt roads. So I mean, think about what John is saying. It's a pretty, it's a pretty wild thing that like gold has the value of dirt in heaven. They, they just, they trample upon the things. I think what John is saying, are there actual gold roads? Maybe. Or is John saying like, I mean, or was it some kind of element that he, we, he didn't even know how to describe it, that it just seemed like gold. But here's what we know is that the things we value in earth are like dirt in heaven. They're nothing, like everything is flipped on the side of his head. What are relationships like in heaven? Everybody wants to know, well, I know people. Well, I don't know. I haven't been there. I mentioned that. But in, in the Bible's not exactly clear on some of those things. What we do know, it's this world that's very different, very bizarre, that's kind of turned upside down. We, you and I can't imagine life without the sun. We know if like the sun dies, earth dies, we die, right? No light, no heat. And in the new heaven, there's no sun because God is the light. Whoa. In the new heaven, dirt. Is the roads are just paved with gold, things that we value, the things that we think are expensive. Here's what we know. It's a very different place. It's a very different place. In its simplest terms, though, here's what I know is true about heaven, is that heaven is in the presence of God. It is with God, and hell is the absence of God. It is without God. I don't know the details of what it's all like, and do we have our own, you know, like, I, I, I don't know. Do, do we have our own place, or what do we do all the time? I don't know, but I just know that heaven is with God. Heaven is in the presence of God. Hell is without God. It is with the absence of God. So one of the questions that we get, and we got this one a lot, is, and some people, you might have this question, is why would a loving God send people to hell? Right? Why would a loving God send people to hell? Well, if hell is the absence of God and heaven is the presence of God, a better question might be this. Why would a loving God give you in eternity what you didn't want on earth? I want you to think about that. Why would a loving God give you in eternity what you didn't want on earth? If you want God absent from your life on earth, if you want Jesus absent from your life, if you don't want to be with Jesus on earth, if you don't want to be with Jesus, with God on earth, then you get what you want for eternity. You don't have to be with God and with Jesus for eternity. God gives you in eternity exactly what you wanted on earth. You want to be with God on earth? You want to be with Jesus on earth? It's great. You get to be with Jesus in eternity. 
You want to be without Jesus on earth? You want to be without God on earth? You get exactly what you want. You don't have to be with God in eternity. Why would God give you something when you had the opportunity to choose to be with him or without him? Why would he give you in eternity what you didn't even want on earth? You get the choice. You get the opportunity. I get the opportunity to choose exactly what we want. And Jesus says the teaching about it, that our opportunity to choose, our opportunity to to invite and receive Jesus into our life and be with God here, it's a pretty big deal. has a pretty big impact on eternity because Jesus taught that it was permanent. Listen to what he says in Luke 16, 25. Between us and you, a great chasm has been set in place. When he tells a parable about heaven and hell, this is the way he says it. A great chasm has been set in place so that those who want to go from here to you cannot, and nor can anyone cross over from there to us. It's permanent, and you can't cross over this chasm. You can't go over it. Sometimes people ask, now, do you think so-and-so is in heaven, or what about these people that live in this country or live on this island? And I I don't know. And really, that's irrelevant to me. That's God's business. What I have to do is make a decision for the truth that's available to me in Scripture. And that is a clear path. Jesus called himself the way. The way to salvation, the way to eternal life, the way to heaven. And it's clear in here. And I have to decide what to do with the information that I've been given. Because here's the thing that we all want to gloss over when we ask those questions about why would a loving God do this? You know, why send people to hell? Why is there even a hell in the first place? Here's something we gloss over is that we all deserve hell. We all deserve hell. The message of Christianity is not that Christians are better than everyone else and get to go to heaven. That's not the message of Christianity at all. Listen to how the Apostle Paul describes the state of our souls, of our lives, of all humanity and all individuals. Romans 3, verses 9 through 20. Listen to this. I told you it's fast-paced. Are you all okay? Everybody okay? All right? All right, listen to how Paul says this. For we have already made the charge that Jews and Gentiles, that encapsulates encapsulates everyone, those that are Jews and those that are Gentiles, alike are under the power of sin. And then listen to this. As it is written, he quotes the Old Testament here. He reaffirms it. There is no one righteous. But what about so-and-so? There's no one that's righteous. No one is righteous. No one that stood on this stage today or ever. No one sitting in those seats today. No one watching online. No one is righteous. Not, but what about so Well, not even one. There is no one who understands. There is no one who seeks God. All have turned away. They have together become worthless. There is no one who does good. What does it say? Not even one. Their throats are open graves. Their tongues practice deceit. The poison of vipers is on their lips. Their mouths are full of cursing and bitterness. I see Paul's been on Facebook. 
Their feet are swift to shed blood, ruin and misery mark their ways, and the way of peace they do not know. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Now, we know that whatever the law says, this is the Old Testament law, it says to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be silenced and the whole world held accountable to God. What Paul is saying is that if you think like, oh, I'm a, I think I'm pretty good. I don't know if you're talking about me, Paul. Then he goes, okay, then just go read the law and just tell me, then do you measure up to that? You keep it all 100% of the time, all the time? Are you that perfect? Oh, yeah, I'm pretty good at the Ten Commandments. I was talking about all 613 laws. Well... I may mess one up every now and then. It is to silence those so that we all know that the standard, and this is the standard to which we are accountable to God. And so the Paul says, so therefore, no one will be declared righteous in God's sight by the works of the law because no one can keep all the law all the time. You might do good most of the time, but that one where it says you shouldn't covet like every once in a while, I want something my neighbor has. Every once in a while, I want something somebody else has. Every once in a while, to, to not bear false witness, to not lie. Well, every once in a while, I might have told a little lie. There was a couple times in middle school, right? A couple times last week, right? See, it's, no one can be declared righteous because we can't keep it all the time. Rather, through the law... We become conscious of our own sin. Paul says when we look at that, we just go like we can't, like we can't do it. And listen, we love to soften this up in modern culture. We love to soften this up. We like to say things like, well, maybe I'm a mistaker. I've made a few mistakes. Sure, I've made a few mistakes. I'm a mistaker. I'm a trespasser. I'm a transgressor. Sounds a little more serious, but not so bad, right? I'm a blunderer. I've got a few blunders. Yeah, my 20s, I had a few blunders. I'm a slipper-upper, right? Got a few slip-ups. Had a few slip-ups last week. We love to soften this in modern culture. Paul says, let me make it clear. I am a sinner. I want you to repeat after me, even if you're at home there by yourself. I am. Am a sinner. Yeah, you didn't mean that. You, in fact, you kind of tailed off at sinner a little bit there. I am a sinner. Sinner. Thank you. I've heard one of our elders loud and clear. I know him well, so he's definitely, he's chief sinner among all. That's what we say among the elders. We're, we're chief sinners. I'm a sinner. You're a sinner. We're all Sinners. The law given through Moses makes us aware of our sin. It reveals how utterly broken that we are, that there is no one who is righteous, no one who does good. And that's the heart of Christianity, that none of us are good. And yet every one of us has to own this personally because the bottom line is your sin is the only sin to which you'll be held accountable. Your sin is the only sin you can deal with and your sin is the only sin that you have to be saved from. So some people wonder, why did Jesus have to die? Why didn't God just say, time out, time out, okay, okay, everybody stop, everybody's forgiven, do over. Why didn't God just say that? 
because sin had to be dealt with because God promised that sin brought death and death was the only thing that could pay the price for sin. Why did Jesus have to die? Because God is true to his word, because God is faithful, because God is just, and because God is always and also loving. We needed to be saved from death. Now the good news is Paul follows up this really depressing diatribe like I could end it there and it'd be a bad afternoon, right? He, ends up, he, he, he finishes up with this really depressing diatribe, and he says this in the next part. But now, this is good news, apart from the law, apart from trying to keep up, trying to do the works and trying to earn your way, a righteousness from God has been made known to which the law and the prophets testify. That means all of that law and all of the Old Testament all points to this moment. Actually, it's not a moment, it's a person. The righteousness, this righteousness, is given. It is not earned, it is not attained, it is not achieved. It is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There is no difference between Jew and Gentile, Paul says. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We're all in the same boat. The ground is level at the foot of the cross. And all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of his blood to be received by what? Faith. To be received by faith. He did this to demonstrate his righteousness. It's him. He's the one that's righteous at this present time so as to be just and the one who justifies those who having faith. He is just. He paid the price that he said sin cost, but he did it himself. For we maintain that a person is justified by faith apart from the works of the law. Righteous is the standard. If you want to stand before God, if you want to spend eternity with him, if you want to go to heaven and be with the holy God, you have to be righteous. Whoa, who could do that? Lucky for us, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, a righteousness apart from the law, apart from trying to achieve it through good works. You don't have to do that. It's about faith in Christ. That's why it's always ridiculous to me when somebody says to me, you know, I'm going to go to church once I get my life cleaned up and once I get my act together. The whole point of the gospel of Jesus is to come to God and go, I don't have my act together. I don't have my act together. I'm a sinner and I'm broken, but I have faith that your son died for me, paid the price that I deserve for my sin, and that he rose and defeated sin and death once and for all, and I have victory over death and sin in my life. It is God sees me now not as a sinner, but as a child of God. God sees me now not as wretched and messed up, but as righteous. He sees me as justified. It is just if I'd never sinned. This is salvation. Faith in the crucified and resurrected Jesus. That's it. Faith in the crucified and resurrected Jesus. And I'm, not, I'm talking about more than a belief in an historical event. Not to just say, sure, I believe Jesus died on the cross and rose from the dead. I'm talking about faith through confession of my sin, trust that his sacrifice covers my sin, faith that he rose again to defeat death once and for all, and, and belief that he is Lord over all creation. This is how you get to heaven. 
You wanna know how do I get to heaven? That's it. Do I have faith in the crucified and resurrected Jesus, confess my sins to him, and that he has actually covered my sin and had defeated sin and death once and for all? That's how you get to heaven. You, you don't even have to be baptized. People go, you know how I know that? They're hanging on the cross. Jesus, there's a criminal over here. Jesus, you know, it's obvious you're really the Lord. Would you remember me when you come in your kingdom? Hey, buddy, too bad we don't have a tub of water here that we could baptize you. <laughs> Things would have gone differently for you. Is that what Jesus said? He said, today, you'll be with me in paradise. Today. Today. It is faith in the crucified and resurrected Christ that is saving faith. And it is only a gift. If you had to be baptized, then you and I would have to do something to get it. You don't have to do anything. Now listen, we love baptism. Baptism is an outward sign of what God has done in our lives. It is like a wedding ring. It is like telling the world what is going on in my heart. We love it. In fact, two weeks from now, we're going to have a baptism Sunday. Next week, we've got baptism classes, and we would love to celebrate you. It is, it, it is an important step in your faith. It is a crucial step in your journey to say, I want the world to know, and I want to be baptized into my church family. I want to be a part of the body of Christ. A crucial step. We would love to celebrate with you. But the most important thing, the first step, the only step to receive salvation in Jesus is to put your faith in Christ. Now, there are a lot of questions, though, then a lot of people had and that you may be thinking now is like, well, I mean, what if you keep on sinning after you get saved? You ever wondered about that? We keep on sinning. Or is there some unforgivable sin is there something that's just too big in fact this this is the questions we've had right is my sin too big or too much I mean Carter you you didn't know me when I was 19 you don't know what I did when I was 25 you, you don't know what I did in my other life and what if you keep on sinning after you're saved that's a tension. Like we always have this tension between works and faith. Because it feels like we ought to have to do something to pay God back for what we did wrong. And to uh, pay God for our salvation. For his love and his favor especially if we did something really bad, especially if 19 was really bad, if 25 was really bad. You know, there was a time that the church figured out how to monetize this tension. Long before there were denominations when there was only one church, one big C church, and everybody was kind of part of the same church family hundreds and hundreds of years ago, the church had something called indulgences, you would have to be, when you sinned after you became a Christian, you would have to be absolved of that sin. So you would go see the priest and they would give you, they would tell you an indulgence. Maybe it was a simple prayer to pray or maybe it was um, uh, a, an act of service, good, a good deed that you should do and then you could kind of wipe it out. They'd balance one another out. 
And Pope Leo X figured out how to monetize this. He, he figured out how, how to commercialize it. And they began selling indulgences. It was so much cleaner, simpler, and quicker. And if you had a really big sin, you could just come pay for your indulgence. Maybe they would tell you what quick prayer to pray, and you could do it. The church was making bank. Because I want to tell you something. Folks be sinning, right? Hey, listen. That's what I tell people. I'm always have a job because people be sinning, right? We just sin. I sin. We all sin. And, man, if you can make money on people's sins, you can make some good money. And Martin Luther, who was a monk, began reading the book of Romans. We just read a bunch of it. And he was like, um, no. Like, that's wrong. You, you can't say a prayer or do a good deed to balance things out. You can't. It doesn't work that way at all. And in 1517, he had kind of this huge moment in church history. We call it the Reformation. He posted something called 95 Thesis. But there were two key points in that. This is so important in this tension between, you know, what do I have to do after I'm saved? Two key points. Sola fide. And sola gratia. Anybody know what sola fide means? Sola is like solitary, so it's alone. Faith alone and grace alone. We are saved by grace alone through faith alone. There is no deed, there is no work that you can do to earn it. He dispelled this myth, this salvation is by works or anything we do. Your sin is too big for you to fix, but it's not too big for God's grace. And Paul said it this way, and this is what Martin Luther was reading. Where sin increased, grace increased all the more. So if you're like, what if my sin is too big? What if my sin was too much? You don't know how many years I spent in my old life. You don't know what I've done. That sounds great. I love it. And Paul says, listen, where sin increased, grace increased the more. You can't out God's grace. You can't out God's grace. Grace, you can't do it. There is always more grace than you have sin. Your sin is a pebble in an ocean of grace. You can't fix it, you can't earn it, but there is enough faith for you to be saved from it. Your sin is defeated. Grace always wins. You can't out God's grace. Now, there's a danger here, right? So... If grace through faith is how it works, and I can't out-sin God's grace, and Paul said where sin abounds, grace abounds all the more, so if I want more of God's grace, all I have to do is sin more. Right? You give a sinner an inch, will they take a mile? Isn't that a tension? And that's the world we've lived in, right? Because like, I grew up in a culture where it was like, just come forward and get on your knees and say a prayer, pray a prayer of salvation and ask Jesus into your heart. And all of us and maybe some of us know someone or were that one who came and did that and had that moment, that salvation moment, and then just went right on back to sinning. In fact, Paul answered his own question. In the very next chapter, after he writes that, where sin abounds, grace abounds all the more, listen to what Paul said. We've been asking this question for 2,000 years. Chapter 6, 
What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? You can tell like somebody already asked that question. Hey, Paul, I want some more of God's grace. So I went to the club last night. <laughs> right? I got, I got a heaping of it because it was a rough night, Paul. And Paul says, no, by no means. That's not how this works, Paul says. Well, why not? We are those who have died to sin. How can we live in it any longer once you have tasted that the Lord is good, that his grace is good, that you are free from sin? Don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism. We say that, buried with Christ in baptism into death in order that just in Christ was raised from life through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. And Paul would say, no, because the old you is dead. You're new. You're new. You've been renewed. You've been reborn. You've been remade. So, what if you keep sinning after you're saved? So, I mean, we all keep sinning after we're saved. I mean, like we all do. But what if? I mean, how much is too much? Will grace run out if you keep going to the same sin over and over? If it's like nothing happened? Well, the Apostle John wrote it this way, some really hard words. Listen to what he said. But you know that he appeared so that he might take away our sins and in him is no sin no one who lives in him keeps on sinning no one who continues to sin has either seen him or know him if you continue to sin that there has been something missing in your life if we're doing the same sin over and over would you just confess it would you just release it would you hand it over and stop it John goes on, it's tough words. No one who was born of God will continue to sin because God's seed remains in them. They cannot go on sinning because they have been born of God. There's something in them that won't let them. This is how we know, this is tough, friends. This is how we know who the children of God are and who the children of the devil are. And then there's a colon, which is a colon is always a scary thing in the Bible. This is how we know. Anyone who does not do what is right is not God's child, nor is anyone who does not love their brother and sister. It does not say that you will be sinless. What John is saying, that we won't keep going back to the same sin over and over. It won't be if we have truly experienced Christ we are being made into his likeness. And the scary thing, Paul says, is that this is an indicator over whether or not we are a child of God. Now, now it gets tricky, right? Because you're, like, you're going, so does this mean that we keep our salvation through works? I thought it was faith alone, grace alone. Um, this is the best way that I can describe it from the words of a famous preacher, R.C. Sproul, said it this way. I love this, what he said. The relationship of faith and good works 
is one that may be distinguished but never separated. They're not the same thing. Faith and good works, they're distinguished, but they're never separated. If good works do not follow from our profession of faith, it is a clear indication that we do not possess justifying faith. The same thing Paul said. It's an indication that something in us didn't quite happen right. And I love the way he ends this. We are justified by faith alone. Full stop. But not by faith that is alone. If your spouse said, I love you, at the altar on your wedding day, but never did anything else to show you that they loved you, well, you had a wedding, but you don't have much of a marriage, right? And if you came down the aisle and prayed a prayer with Jesus and asked Jesus into your heart, but nothing ever changed in your life and you never let the Holy Spirit Spirit make a move in your life and you never began being formed in his likeness, you might have had a religious experience, but I'm not sure you have a relationship. If nothing in your life ever changed, if you keep doing the same thing over and over, you might have gone through confirmation when you were 13, but you haven't gone through transformation. And you might have said yes to Jesus at a revival, but you haven't said yes to Jesus in the daily renewal that he wants to do in your life. We're justified by faith alone, but not by faith that is alone. So what about you? You were saved by faith, but is your faith alone? Now, if you're worried, like, have I lost my salvation? Let me circle back around to Romans. Salvation is never about what we do, but always about what Jesus has done. If you were saved by grace, by faith, alone, then as long as you have faith, grace abounds where sin abounds. You can't out God's grace. You can't do it. God will not leave you nor forsake you, and that's why we call his grace amazing. It's the best thing to go around today. You didn't earn it, so you can't unearn it. You didn't deserve it, so you can't undeserve it. You no longer are under the tyranny and oppression of that sin. That sin in your life, you have been freed from. You have victory over that sin. So if you are still struggling with the sin, if you are still beating yourself up over sin, if you feel like you're still, you're still dealing with the consequences of sin or the, the effect that it's had on your life, why, why won't you just hand that sin over to Jesus? Why won't you just bury it with him and be raised to new life and receive your status as a child of God? Why won't you just stop letting the devil remind you of your past and call you by your sin and remember that you have a Savior who has redeemed your past and calls you by name? No matter what you've done, no matter how big you think it is, no matter how far gone you have, have gone, you can't out God's grace. You can't out God's grace. That's the gospel of Jesus Christ. It is not what you do. It is what he has already done. You can't work for it. You can't earn it. All you can say is, I receive it. I want it. I open it. I take what you have and move in me, change me, transform me. I want to be a new person. Man, don't you want to live for him? Don't you want to give your life to him? Come on, don't you want everyone in Birmingham to know him? To know that?
neighbors and friends and coworkers and family that are today, they're at home and they're, they're, here's what they're thinking. You know, I can never go to church like my friend, like my coworker because of all the things you've done. And you would just say, listen, we're all sinners. You could just tell them tomorrow morning, my preacher, they trained me. I am a sinner. We're sinners saved. And on the night he was with his disciples, right before he was crucified, Jesus reminded us for this once and for all. He took bread and he broke it and he said, this is my body broken for you. And every time you break bread together, I want you to remember that I was broken for your brokenness. I was broken so you can be made whole. And then he took the cup and he raised it and he said, this is my cup of the new covenant poured out for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins and every time you drink this every time you take this i want you to remember that your sins are forgiven and today i want to invite you to come forward i want to invite you at during our time today to come and i don't know if it is a time i don't know if it's a time of reminding you that you can't outsend god's grace and a decision that you made long ago or a time of receiving for you that this is the first time but you're invited we invite people to follow Jesus here if you're watching online we want to connect with you right now you say I want to talk to somebody you email connect at mountaintopchurch.com we want to connect with you if you're here we're all going to come and receive communion. There's gluten-free at every station. And you're invited to come receive it. Pray down here. Some of our elders and staff are going to be on the sides. And if you want to pray today, if you say, I never got it. I never understood. I always thought I had needed to be good enough. I always thought I had to measure up. But now I get it. I can't out God's grace. And I am covered. I am redeemed. We want to pray for you to receive Christ, to make the most important decision you will ever make in your life, one that will impact your eternity. You're invited to come. Heavenly Father, we love you. We thank you that your sin <laughs> is always bigger. Your, your, your grace is always bigger than our sin. We thank you that your forgiveness and your mercy is always bigger than our transgressions. We thank you, God, that you are enough. We thank you, God, that you broke yourself to heal our brokenness. And Lord, I pray for friends in this moment, in this room. Lord, some of us are coming to be reminded and to remember that it's all about you. And some of us are coming to receive for the very first time. Lord, I pray for courage for someone that says, I'm not sure I can go talk to someone. Lord, I pray that you just dispel that fear and that you give them courage right now to go pray with someone, to ask you into their heart. Lord, this is a holy moment. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. You're invited to come.